Kia ora, and welcome to Te Waka, Victoria University of Wellington, the podcast. Nā koutou, kia ora tātou. Hello and welcome to everyone. I'm Professor Jennifer Windsor, Pro-Vice-Chancellor of Humanities, Social Sciences and Education at Te Waka, Victoria University of Wellington. In the lead-up to our general election this year, two researchers at our university are conducting the New Zealand arm of a cross-national research project to compare across nations how political actors use social media to target, inform, interact with, and mobilize voters in elections. Dr. Mona Cruel and Professor Jack Fowles are leading experts from the university's political science and international relations program. They are leading a team to examine the campaign topics, dominant political players, and strategies behind New Zealand's political campaigns on social media. Their focus is on the final four weeks of the election campaign. Mona and Jack are with me today to explain this international project and what they think they might find in New Zealand. Welcome, Mona. Jack, thank you both for joining me. The specific project you're working on has garnered a great deal of attention, drawing as it does on the original Campaigning for Strasbourg or CAMFORCE initiative. Could we start with a little background on the impact of social media on political campaigns around the world? Yes, Kiora. As we all know, the advent of social media has created a revolution in how people communicate with one another, and no more so than in politics. Anyone with an internet connection, computer, tablet or smartphone can have access to a variety of platforms. But of course, the big difference between contemporary social media and established mainstream media is the relative absence of gatekeepers or in the terms of journalism, editorial oversight. Newspapers, radio and television have limited space and time and so they curate what they publish. And in New Zealand are usually, although not always, subject to norms of balance and accuracy. By contrast, social media is, if you like, the Wild West. While objectionable content is removed, we don't see porn or extreme violence on Facebook. The threshold for removal has been very low. And as a result, social media is rife with what's become known as fake news. So we use the term fake news all the time now. It's almost become part of our common parlance. How do we define fake news? Well, the term is slippery. According to Donald Trump, anything he disagrees with uh, falls under that category. But of course, uh, to define it more tightly, fake news is usually a claim that's made up. It's often simply untrue. That is, it can be refuted by evidence that shows the contrary. But of course, the boundary is trickier when a claim's made for which there's no evidence either for or against. Of course, there's nothing new in stretching the boundaries of truth in politics or indeed in advocacy in general. Politicians frequently overinterpret the actions and promises of their adversaries. They make their own claims in exaggerated or misleading ways that can be falsified or, or lack evidence, particularly about what they say will happen in the future. On the other hand, of course, we should uh, strongly protect robust and free debate. As human beings, we're psychologically wired to respond to claims that stoke strong emotions that are easy clickbait. When you talk about clickbait, you make me think that fake news can be as much in the mechanisms by which we tell stories as in the content itself. So you make me think about automated social media or bots. Can you talk to us about how those work? 
Well, of course, to place advertising on the internet, there are numerous products that automate the posting of items on social media platforms, often using data about individuals' prior clicking history to target particular market segments. This is done by advertisers all the time and we accept it. And these products can be and have been deployed for political party advertising. But this kind of software can also be created and programmed to proliferate robot political messages, often appearing to come from real people, but actually delivered from lines of code that are very hard to source or track down. These anonymous bots are specifically designed to spread malicious messages. Some may be extreme, others may be insidious. Uh, They may be seeking to destroy confidence in more reliable sources of information. We've seen this overseas. Uh, There's not much evidence of it in New Zealand yet that we know about, at least. So let's talk a little bit about New Zealand then. So recognising that election processes, election timeframes, that they differ across countries, how do you think New Zealand's political campaigning generally compares to other countries in the use of social media? Well, it's handy that we have some data from the period from about 2011 through to 2014 where we've actually got some international comparisons. So it turns out that in the use of social media, or at least in the reporting of social media as being communicated to ordinary people, we see that New Zealand's a bit behind Canada and the United States, but we're we're ahead of the UK and Australia. And we also have data from the 2011 through to the 2017 elections. And that shows us that people receiving social media messages from political parties were about 3% in 2011 when we first start asking the question, up to 6% in 2014 and nearly 12% in 2017. So a, a, a gradual increase in the uptake of social media and its reception by ordinary voters during an election campaign. So while social media is growing, what about other methods by which political parties make contact with potential voters? Are they being used less? No, no, they're not actually. And indeed, social media is still well behind the use of the telephone. And also, uh, personal visits are still uh, reasonably popular, even though political parties have fewer members now than in the past. And so that's a little bit more difficult for them. So social media is growing, uh, but other forms of political contact are still there. Is it a problem that social media is growing? Not necessarily. It's a problem that social media can be misused in the ways we've been discussing. But it is quite an effective means of political communication, and it's particularly handy for political parties, so much so that we've seen political parties transfer a lot of the resources they have available to campaign from television, which is declining in importance now, uh, to social media. And they're actually able to use the funds made available for broadcasting to use on social media instead. Um, Mona, let's bring you into this conversation. So let's talk about the specific project in which you and Jack are involved. And this is the, the Camp Force project. It examines how social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, and so on, are used in political campaigns and used by members of all parties. Can you talk with us about what the Camp Force project is and how did it come about? What's its purpose? So Kiora, Jennifer, 
far, the aim of the original CAMFORCE project was actually to analyze the direct communication between politicians and voters via Facebook um, during the European elections in 2019. Um, and CAMFORCE, as you said, means campaigning for Strasbourg um, because the European Parliament is located in Strasbourg. And the project was initiated by communication scholars and political scientists um, in Austria, Norway and Germany. Um, but a lot of experts from other European countries joined the project uh, quickly um, and now it's counting 12 countries. And after they have successfully uh, done this for the Facebook campaigns uh, in the European election, the original team reached out uh, to people around the world and decided that they would like to expand their project um, to additionally also examine national elections and to continue the project under the name DigiWorld. So it's now growing from campus into DigiWorld. So what's the purpose of DigiWorld or CAMFORCE? Mm -hmm. So um, uh, the purpose of the DigiWorld project is basically uh, to also um, include national elections and being able to compare between uh, different countries on the national level. But you can also uh, compare between, um, of course, different political levels like the European Union level and national elections, if there's any difference uh, in that. Um, and so uh, now having uh, this project um, actually kind of lets the data set uh, grow uh, and we will also grow it over time. So we will repeat this for the next election. So this gives us a lot of analytical um, uh, potential. So it's quite fascinating. You'll be able to look at how social media is used to actually inform uh, some of the ways voters might actually choose some of the outcome of elections, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So CAMFORCE to me seems fairly powerful. It's the first of its kind doing this in the world? Yes, it is the first of its kind to do it in the world. Um, so, and we are actually the second to join for a national election. The Israeli project has been the first. Um, the US presidential elections will be uh, analyzed uh, by the end of the year in November. And next year, the Germans and the Norwegians have upcoming elections and they will also join. So we can compare with all of these countries. And my guess is it will be uh, growing faster. Um, and in New Zealand, we are also very lucky to have the New Zealand election study on top, the NZDS. Um, so this was one of our special interests to bring it to New Zealand because we can link both data sets later. So we have this survey um, of voters' political attitudes and perceptions and voting behavior. We are able to link our social media study to those voters who have used social media and can say if this had an effect on their candidate evaluations, issue perceptions, or even their voting behavior. So how did the two of you get involved? So we actually got approached um, by the original CAMFORCE team and we did not hesitate to say yes um, because as uh, Jack has already made clear, we live in the age of post-truth campaigning. So it's very important to monitor the campaigns of political actors and to call them out if there's any uh, misinformation or fake news that they are spreading. Um, and so Victoria University is a, a very good watchdog in that role because we are independent. Um, and so um, luckily, the university saw that uh, and supported us with an internal research grant. And so did the Gamma Foundation and that enabled us to join this project. So it's an important point that the project is funded independently and that you're also, um, as academics, independent researchers. How is the New Zealand project set up? Um, we are analyzing um, the campaigns, uh, the Facebook campaigns of all parties represented in the New Zealand Parliament. So the Labour Party, National, New Zealand First, the Green Party Act. We also uh, do the Maori Party um, and uh, we do the front runners that are not represented in the New Zealand Parliament, but are also routine 
mainly included uh, by the polling uh, institutes. Um, so like top, the new conservatives, um, the New Zealand Public Party. And we do all top candidates. Um, and we have a team of five coders who are all students uh, enrolled in a political science program. And we have trained them over six weeks. Um, and they are following something that we call a code book, which is like a huge handbook. You can imagine it like that. 50 pages with instructions of everything is defined in there. What is fake news? What is populism? So that they recognize when they see it and they always code zero if something is not there and one if something is there. And this is how we transfer non-numerical data like text into numerical uh, data. So I think the coding and particularly the live coding is a really interesting aspect uh, of this project. Can you step us back a little bit and talk about um, what the, the data or the information will actually look like? What will you be coding? What will you mm -hmm. be doing? So we focus really on what we call It's called paid communication, though some of them are unpaid posts, but all the communication that comes from the parties, we usually call in political communication research paid communication compared to free communication from the journalists, because that was for free from journalists uh, to get that in the past. Uh, and so we just focus on this kind of uh, communication that comes from the parties and the top candidates. Yes. So what, what we will be coding, what we will actually be measuring are things like the number of comments, loves, likes, ha-has, the angry emotions that you know from Facebook. We do this automatically. That's actually the automatic part of it. You can scrape that directly. That's something we don't have to do. Um, and we do it week-wise, but we update it in the second week if the ha-has and likes have gone up for one of the posts. So by that, we can actually show how people react to these posts, um, what was um, what people found was positive, what was negative uh, for them. So we can actually measure the response. Um, we can also show which political topics um, the actors are um, focusing on in the campaigns. Um, How much they include Maori issues, for example, is something that we measure how informative the campaigns are. So how much uh, voters can learn from their posts about their party policies and their candidates. Uh, we can also show um, if they try to motivate voters and interact with them or if it's just top down communication. And uh, do you actually mobilize them to turn out, for example? Something else that we could do is we can um, measure how they instrumentalize their private lives or if they just strictly focus on political issues and nothing else. And we can can also look at uh, who's kind of being the most negative and the most positive in their campaigns and what their targets are, as well as we can look at um, populist strategies. We also have a cooperation with CrowdTangle, which is a firm owned by Facebook, and they allow certain research teams around the world. They open the window like every two years and onboard new research teams. And then you get access to data behind the scenes, uh, how much they paid for their promoted posts and who they tried to target with those. Um, this is how we are doing it. And Are there any differences between what you're doing in the New Zealand project compared to the overseas project? So their differences are little um, because we want to compare between our data and their data in the end. Um, so we try to keep it as similar as possible. But we are the first to have added this big section on fake news and misinformation. That is something that the other projects didn't have before, but they will follow us uh, in that uh, because it's a very current thing uh, that we need to uh, keep an eye on. And we are also the first to do the uh, live coding um, Um, and uh, to instantly make first results public. We were very interested to also inform the public about what is going on in the campaign. So that's why we publish interims, uh, interim results. Uh, and besides that, we are also the first, of course, to in, uh, integrate Mari issues, which does not play a role in the other countries, of course. So let's talk again then about the live coding. What does that look like? So our coders always get uh, one week. So they get the first week of the last four weeks of the campaign that we are analyzing um, and they get all posts 
from that week and they code them within a few days uh, and we get the coding back uh, and then we run our statistical analysis and we'll publish the first results and the coders already get the next material from the second week. They code um, while we work on the statistical analysis and in the second week we can already base uh, our analysis uh, on two weeks and for the third week and so on. What's the size of the number of um, uh, Facebook posts that you expect you'll be dealing with? We are currently looking um, on around 400 posts per week. Um, this is just by the parties uh, and uh, the two most important top candidates. I have top cans. I have not looked at the other ones yet, but I would assume that we come out in the end because it also increases as the closer we get to the election date, that we come out around 500 to 600 posts per week. So I want to come full circle back to the notion that uh, Jack talked about of fake news. How are you choosing what to analyze and how do we know that what you will find and talk about is somehow more authentic or more objective uh, and not yet just another piece of fake news? So we code all posts, so we are not uh, selective. There's no selection bias in that sense. So we don't leave out any of those actors that we have chosen, which are basically all of the important parties and the top candidates. So no post uh, is being unanalyzed. Um, we also train the coders to make sure that they only follow the rules in the codebook and do not use their individual judgment. So we even measure their agreement on how they code things statistically um, to make sure that they just strictly follow the guidelines uh, and nothing else before we let them actually code the real data. So we train them for a long time um, and we call this reliability tests when we measure that. And you can actually express their agreement in something that we call a reliability coefficient. So we know that they, for example, agree uh, on coding a certain variable in our codebook uh, by 80% or 75%. And higher reliabilities actually mean that this is independent from the specific coder and that they just follow the guidelines. That's where their agreement comes from. So, Jack, if we bring you back into the conversation, do you have any thoughts on what you think we might find? Well, so far, there's not been much evidence of sophisticated targeting uh, by uh, party social media use in New Zealand, and it is now possible to monitor that. From what we've seen so far in the first set of advertising, we expect the usual mixture of negative and positive campaigning. There's going to be a, some stretching of the evidence. We're already seeing evidence of fake news coming predominantly from the new conservatives and uh, New Zealand public, Advanced New Zealand. But compared to some other countries, there are actually more ways to complain about fake news in New Zealand. And if it's bad enough, even stop it from being repeated. We have an advertising standards authority, which unlike other countries actually will hear complaints about political advertising and, and does and has adjudicated recently on complaints about National Party advertising on Facebook. Uh, Facebook's also being convinced to take down advertisement uh, from uh, New Zealand Public Party that make false claims using a selectively edited parliamentary debate and the Broadcasting Standards Authority, the New Zealand Media Council and the Electoral Commission also have a role. Complaints about false claims can be made to any of those organisations by anybody and they will find their way to the right place. For example, radio commentators can fall foul of the Broadcasting Standards Authority. ZB talk host Mike Hosking has been wrapped over the knuckles a couple of times already. But one has to acknowledge there are some limits. 
even if sourced from a political party, if a Facebook post is unpaid content, then it falls outside the brief of complaints about advertising. And the complaints process can be drawn out, leaving misleading advertising on display for a long time before it's taken down. On the other hand, uh, false claims made two days prior to the election are defined in the Electoral Act as a corrupt practice on the grounds that there's insufficient time to refute them. New Zealand is in a better shape than many other countries in having mechanisms to deal with these things. One of the things that I really um, find intriguing and a strength of the project is that you'll be able to compare your findings to international results. And I also believe you'll then be able to look at results and compare them across time, across time into the future. Are there benefits in that to New Zealand? Well, I'm a great fan of comparative research. As New Zealand standards for free, fair and accurate debate are relatively high, although of course not perfect, as I've explained, comparison with countries with less rigorous standards are going to go some way to help us understand the effectiveness or otherwise of our own regulatory regime. And comparison is one of the most important analytical tools in political science research. We only know what's unique or not so unique about New Zealand by making comparisons with other countries. I think we're all going to be looking forward to what these results will tell us. Mona, where can we find out about the results? Yeah, so there will be a website. We will be running a blog that you can find under www.wgtn.az.nz slash election. Or you just go to the start page of the university and from there a link will take you to our results. Um, the website will go live on October 2nd. Um, there will be weekly updates starting October 2nd and again on October October 9, 16th and 26th. A final question for you both. Do you think that if people do log in and look at the webpage or otherwise follow the project, do you think that will have any influence on the campaigning itself? Yeah, my biggest hope is actually that um, voters might look at our results and are aware that they are sometimes manipulated by parties and that they are critical about what they see on the internet and they look twice because some of these fake news these days are very well made up. Um, so you can easily fall for them. Uh, it happened to myself. Even as a political scientist, when you trust all your political scientist friends and what they are retweeting, don't tweet everything they tweet. Um, so yeah, be critical about it. I hope that's what people learn from our results. And Jack, your thoughts? Political parties don't pay nearly enough attention to what political scientists tell them. But if we're providing a place that the public can look at what political parties are doing, then perhaps that public exposure will have some effect on the parties themselves. Just maybe. I think that's a great place to to end. Uh, and thank you on behalf of the public. I think that the results will be very interesting to track. Mona, Jack, thank you both very much for sharing the project with us today. We'll see what you come up with. Nami Nui. To stay up to date with our latest podcasts, subscribe using your preferred podcast provider. Thank you to Te Koki School of Music alumni Stefan Patton and Kenyon Shanky for the use of their music. From Te Heringa Waka, Victoria University of Wellington, Haere Rā.